You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Hi guys, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption City Church, and you're just moments away from listening to one of our sermon exhortations, and we're super glad that you made that decision today. And we hope that as you kind of march forward with us in this sermon, that you feel the love of God every moment that the sermon goes forth. Here at RCC, we really try to take the Word of God radically faithfully. We, we look at the Scripture, and then we talk about the Scripture, and we seek to apply it to our lives. And there's times where things in Scripture is pleasant and pleasing, and they make us excited and, and, and pumped up. But there's times in, in Scripture where things that God's saying is difficult, and it's challenging, and sometimes it can even feel stressful and overwhelming. But we have to remember that as a people of God, that everything that God calls us to do in Scripture, He equips us to do. That He doesn't call us to do things from a deficit position, but from a power, spirit-filled position. And so I want you to remember, as we track forward in today's sermon, that God has given you everything that you need to be who He's called you to be. And that is good news. Grace and peace. Oh, RCC, let's focus now. So if you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, let's open them to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. And we're going to be in this text in just a little bit as we continue forward in our Ephesians series titled Our Story, Moving Into God's Story. I want to keep reminding you that this series, this beautiful God-exalting series is all about discovering who we are because of who God is. And, and because of his love, he dwells in he indwells in us, and because of that reality, we get this crazy cool opportunity to have a new identity in Him, and that's what this series is all about. And here remains our aim here in the Ephesians series. If you're just tuning in for the first time, and you're like, hey, what, what, what's the goal here as we're working through this, this text? And the goal is that no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, if you are a mature Christian, you consider yourself someone who's deepening out on your road to sanctification, or you're just a brand new seeker or wanderer trying to figure out this whole Christianity thing, we believe if you open your heart and you soften your mind, you can have a living encounter that changes radically your life because of God like you've never had before. Now, last week in our Ephesians series, we were in part 33, and it was how children, parent, and their spirit-filled responsibilities, and it was segment B of that conversation, and we learned that a young person's life will get so much better, infinitely better, if they just obey their spirit-filled parents as they look to them for guidance on how to walk at a godly pace towards the godly peace and purpose that God has for their lives. We learned that this godly peace and this godly pace helps them to accomplish all the kingdom work that God has predestined for them if they stay on track. We learned that it's so important to not get tripped up and trapped up with disobedience when you're young and, and arrogance and, and strife and things of the dark because those conditions ultimately will, will hurt your heart and they'll hurt your soul. And sometimes, young people, they'll even hurt your body and then you'll lose opportunities. We talked about that, right? You start losing opportunities in your future um, that you couldn't even imagine because of sin. And we learned that our God does not want young people 
people disqualified later in their life in people's eyes because of sins in their, their youth. We learn that the real story is that the family unit is painting a very important picture between our relationship with God and uh, as our Father and us as his children. We learn that so when we are obeying the Lord and we're honoring him, we not only live well now on earth, but it sets us up to die well without shame or regret or any um, past um, sins that are holding us down and we live and we're ready to meet our Heavenly Father in eternity. We learn that even though moms and dads have equal responsibilities with their children, it's the father that has the primary responsibility to set the trajectory for his family and therefore his kids. We learn that God displayed the great importance of the father's position by being willing to share the same name as him. Namely, we call God our father and men. Those of you who are dads, we share the same name. Can you can you imagine that as our heavenly father? And finally, we I left you with six wise and biblically biblically based pastoral warnings regarding not wrongly provoking your children. And those six things were to be careful not to withdraw more from your children than you're depositing. Number two is be careful not to be physically or verbally abusive with your children. That produces wrath. They won't be able to walk well in life. Fathers, we talked about being careful not to be emotionally absent not and to be careful to not criticize or embarrass your kids in public. We talked about being careful and the strong warning to not be a fun killing overly serious boring dad don't be like that and then finally we talked about the warning of being careful to not avoid you don't want to avoid that quick repentance when you're wrong but for your children it demonstrates great humility to them and you want to demonstrate that and that brings us to today part 34 of our Ephesians series titled the atoms the universe and submission in the workplace it all counts. And the one thing that I love about the book of Ephesians is that it reminds us that we're not discounted, but instead accounted for radically. And I've been processing that, and I've been worshiping the God of the universe about that as I look at the different roles that we all carry and how God's guiding and saving hand really can be seen throughout them all. Like whether you're a husband and a wife or parents and children or singles and widows or parents and, uh, excuse me, pastors and members, God keeps showing us the way. Praise God. So hopefully you're starting to say to yourself as we inch closer and closer to the end of our series in Ephesians, wow, this is all starting to make sense now. Like hopefully you're saying God's word is so perfect and it's so <laughs> it's so concise, but yet it's so deep and it's so, it's so wide because God is demonstrating to us his love on earth and the miracles that he performs are often most prevalent when it seems like we're just experiencing mundane and ordinary days in life. And that sets us up to be spirit-filled Christians that glorify God in every single thing that we do. Whether that's serious trials like, like death and, and tragedy or, or disease that really wreak havoc on our lives or smaller interactions that we go through with our neighbors in, in a community or with a grocery store cashier or even at a gas station with the intendant. In all of them, God sits us up and then he, he sets us up on a course and on a trajectory for life to live joy-filled, kingdom-focused, purpose-driven lives 
in all that we do. Okay, so, so with that being said, we're going to read God's word now as an offering to our king. That's what we're going to do, and it's going to be legit. And I'm going to, again, present the key elements and the key themes of chapter 5, verse 22, and we're going to kind of walk through um, chapter 6 all the way through um, verse 4 in a faithful yet abbreviated form. And remember, we're going to do it this way so we can kind of best hold intention that Paul is having a conversation, and it's one conversation at one time across one letter. And that's and that's so important for us to keep holding intention because all this stuff is being communicated at one time as he's painting a story about the Spirit-filled life. Okay, so so after we do that, I'm going to spend some time explaining some things and, and, and preaching about some things and talking about some things that are foundational before we move into our focus passage today, which is really chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And then we're going to read through that text fully and uninterrupted interruptedly and it's so deep and it's so it's so why because there Paul talks about what we as the people of God are called to do in our work and in our everyday lives in our jobs in our in in, in our normal routines and we'll explore what God has for us in those aspects of our lives and how we're to respond to the people that we work with and how those people that we work with should respond to us and we'll learn how to walk through the difficult terrain of uncertainty and unjust times and and difficult that we sometimes experience when we leave our homes and we enter into the workplace. Okay, so, so let's do this. Let's, let's read God's word. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through chapter 6, verse 4, abbreviated. It's, it's on your screen. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in spiritual songs. Sing and be of good cheer often. Give thanks always and for everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives should submit in everything to their husbands. That's the spirit-filled life. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wife as your own bodies. Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents. Okay, here, here you go, children, the spirit-filled life. Obey your parents in the Lord. Children, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so so Paul has addressed the, the moms and the dads and the husbands and the wives and the and the children and the singles and the widows about what it means to be spirit filled. And now he's gonna address what we're gonna what, what's called in the text masters and bond servants. And specifically back then, a bond servant was a type of slave, but in a different way, right? It was in a different way than we often think of that term when we think about it in our context in recent American history. You see, everything about slavery as we know it that's defined in American history was absolutely wrong, and there's no 
redemption in it. And in those days of the New Testament, there were also types of slavery practice that were equally as wrong, and there was no redemption in it. But as hard as this may be to believe, there were other types of redemptive slavery practices that were redeemable. They really were. I know that, I know that sounds weird. So we need to focus now on what Paul's referring to in Ephesians in this portion of the Scripture so we can rightly understand what he's communicating for us today. And that's going to require us to understand and to put some context on this word bondservant. So, so, so here's my pastoral definition to help us think through that right up front in this sermon so we can march faithfully into our sermon today. Okay, so here we go. Here's the Ephesians version of what Paul's talking about regarding bondservants. The bondservant or slave being referred to by Paul in the book of Ephesians was an individual who was in subjection to or subservient to and most definitely at the disposal of his master. This could be a voluntary position for a specified amount of time, but was most often a permanent position of servitude. The bondservant's goals and agendas and priorities became that of his master's in totality. Therefore, bond servants would give up their personal rights to contribute to the needs and the services of their masters. Wow. Okay, so that righteous slavery practice played out when people who were impoverished, mostly in financial constraints, in positions of their life would say, you know what, the only way that I'm going to be able to move myself and or my family forward in life in a way that's actually profitable is if I give myself over to this particular wealthy family and I serve them in totality. And this is going to help me, this is what they would be thinking, and this is going to help me to launch my family's life forward for future generations if I do my job well. So I'm going to willfully choose to become a slave or a bond servant for a specific amount of time or sometimes and honestly, most often for a life, a life sentence. And, and just to help us to get underneath the history of what's going on during this time in Ephesians so we can really understand why Paul's addressing them in the Bible. It's like, why are we talking about masters and bond servants, Paul? I want you to know that during this period, Period of time in the Roman Empire, there were six million bond servants that were living in other people's households, folks. Six million. Hold that intention. And while they were there as a bond servant, they were serving the wealthy family's needs in totality and offering their whole lives as a sacrifice. For pay. So, so in a way, they are being hired as a lifetime employee to their employer, who was called their, their master. Now, now we, we have much more, more freedom in our jobs than the bond service did at that time. But nonetheless, there was this work relationship. You tracking with me? There was a work relationship that a massive amount of Christians, massive amount, over, you know, they predicted over 4 million Christians of those six million were Christians that and they were holding these titles as bond servants at that time. And so Paul knew that these bond servants, these 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 spirit-filled bond servants needed the instruction of the Lord uh, to guide them on how to live their lives in a way that was God God glorifying because the people were were grumbling and they were letting Paul know in their grumbling saying, "Hey, I'm a slave. I'm not in charge. Someone's someone's in charge of me, Apostle Paul, and I'm not always a big fan of what they're requiring me to do. You, you say now that I'm free in Jesus, so tell me how I can operate as a bondservant with 
complete, total authority over me, telling me what to do every second of my life. How am I free in Jesus? How do I walk as a Christian, as a bondservant? And so Paul pastors them. Are you with me? He pastors them as bondservants in relationship to their masters. And therefore, it's a wise word for us as employees with our employers right here in this portion of the text. And his aim is was to help them and therefore to help us be the best employee and the best employers that we can possibly be. And what I love, love, love about this beautiful passage is that as soon as Paul addresses the bondservants, he kind of really fillets it open and he addresses them and he calls them and he, and he inspires them because of what God inspired him to do in their life. He addresses the masters and he says, hey, you are to do the same thing with the same spirit-filled position back in return to your bond servants. Like, folks, are you kidding me? This was unheard of during this historical time in the Roman Empire. Masters serving your slaves, unheard of. And there goes our amazing God, folks. Beautiful check and balances in the orders and in the structures that he invades when he comes into our lives. He takes broken things and he redeems them. That's, that's our God. So everyone has marching orders and everyone has this type of submission onto the Lord. And that's one thing Paul wanted to make clear. And we're going to learn that this Christ-centered love and, and order and service and sacrifice and spirit-filled reciprocal activity between those in power and those under power is to bleed and ooze all through the workspace when Christians invade the land. And so while we might experience a huge disconnect with the word slave, and for, for good reason, might I add, we have to put our Christ-centered headlights on so we can see rightly what God is actually communicating for our benefit and not for not for our bad folks. So, so Paul beautifully lays out God's marching orders with direct application on how we are to submit and operate under any and all authority that we find ourselves under within our lives. So, so let me just ask you a question right now. Are, are you under any authority from anyone today within your life? The answer is, yes, you are. We all are, right? And the list starts in heaven with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? We're all in total subjection to the Trinity. But the list goes on from there, doesn't it? We, we're all in subjection to the, the rules of the universe and the, and the laws of gravity as well. Well, Pastor Brennan, I don't like submitting to gravity, you might, you might say. Okay, well, well, obviously gravity's winning that battle, right? Gravity rules and, and we drool, right? And though we don't always want to agree with gravity, and we spend billions and billions and billions of dollars trying to defy gravity and enter into space and colonize and do all these things, at some point, the law of gravity always comes back in, and we submit to it, and we come back down to earth. So we're in subjection to the rules of the universe and the law of gravity as well. And then it goes down further from there, doesn't it? Like we're, we're in total subjection to the federal government and our national laws and order and legislation. And, and, then, and then it goes down from there and to our more of a local government with our, with our state and then our city and the police that, that govern it. And though we don't always agree with everything going on at the city, state, or federal level, we have to submit to them, don't we? We are in subjection to them. 
And, and then there's, there's people in positions of authority within our lives, like our bosses or our bankers, right? Like just consider the home that you live in. Like even though some of you own, quote unquote, your home, you don't really own it, do you? The bank does for most of us. And that's why you pay the bank each and every month because you're under their authority as well. In fact, you signed an 88-page document when you signed that mortgage, that mortgage papers, didn't you? And there were rules and conditions that you have to submit to and follow. And we all know that if you stop following those 88 pages of rules and restrictions and things that are confining you, then you start to get consequences and eventually you'll lose your home if you don't submit and obey to those conditions. And the same thing goes if you're renting a house to the, the, to the landowner, right? So, so if you can see, this portion of scripture is very normal and it's very necessary for us to get in our hearts so we can live well. Because authority structures outside our home are a part of God's design. This authority situation isn't just something that's supposed to be in between you and God alone and your heart. That's not how it works. This whole um, concept and conversation about authority is not just confined to your home between husband and wife and your children. That's, That's not how it works. This conversation of authority comes with you when you walk out the front door of your house everywhere you go. Okay, so what's our first important takeaway in light of this reality? Here here it is. God in his love created the world with rules and order and structure involving varying degrees of authority in your relationships. While the submission and authority in your, in your excuse me, While the submission and authority principles apply within the sphere of your marriage, family, and parenting, they don't end there. Instead, submission to authority comes with you when you leave your home. They apply in your church, in your workplace, and even in the very fabric of creation. When done according to God's design, they are good and they create harmony. And that that is so true. Okay. Okay, so eyes up here with your mind so clear. Eyes up here with your mind so clear. Let me say this directly to our family here at RCC. I believe with all my heart that if the people of God would just genuinely stand up to bat what God is throwing at us in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6 regarding the Christian life, if we would all just choose to be spirit-filled and to take a swing at this Christian life, well, if we would take, take a swing at it, if we would choose to play for God's team radically and just do the things that he says to do and to stop doing the things he says to stop doing, even if we sometimes strike out at trying to be the best us that we can be, I believe with all my heart if the people of God would just stand up to bat and if we would just start swinging for Jesus radically with the intention of hitting the Christian life, that ball out the park, if we would all just say in our hearts and then live out loud and say, I'm going to be the absolute best version of myself, not in comparison to someone else's batting average at life, just the best version of myself, simply yet supernaturally. If we would stop comparing ourselves to others, but instead would start ferociously comparing ourselves 
to ourselves, meaning that we would focus radically on being better today than we were yesterday. I believe with all my heart that if the people of God would swing the bat at the Christian baseball of life, if we would be willing to go down swinging with all of our heart for Jesus with that type of mindset, if we would just swing the bat at being the best mom and the best dad and the best father and the best mother and the best child and the best single and the best widow and the best employer and the best employee and the best citizen and the best taxpayer and the best friend and the best servant that we could possibly be if our church became the kind of church that God on high designed us to be, what would happen to our city? What if people rocked around in our church and said about our church and they said to themselves, man, whether I ever get recognized or not, whether I ever walk on the stage, whether I ever lead a ministry, whether my idea is ever taken in a Zoom conference or a Zoom meeting, I'm going to do my part and I'm going to do it well and I'm going to do it onto the Lord. Folks, what would happen to our city if we lived like that and what would happen to our hearts? Folks, this is redemption. This is restoration, and this is God's design of how we work together when we, when we come together. And it all starts with us recognizing that all of our parts count in life, regardless of the position of authority that we have. You count. I count. The homeless man counts. The grocery store attendant counts. We all count. No one has more value than the other. We just have different roles and responsibilities. Are you with me? But we have to have our hearts in order for us to believe that and see that and ultimately activate that truth within our lives. This is the heart, folks, of what's going on underneath Paul's exhortation today. He is explaining with great power who we are in our new identity. And it's, and it's beautiful because this new identity sets us up on a new trajectory to operate and live under new activities that ultimately lead us, folks, to a much better, a much better destiny. Okay, so, so with that being said, let's track through now the full and the beautiful and the uninterrupted um, focus verse of chapter 6, verses 5 through 9 about this. And we're going to kind of fillet this thing open and we're going to get we're going to get going today okay so here we go it's it's on your screen bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ and so right here Paul's making it clear that hey it's not just serving, but it's how you serve. And it's to serve with a sincere heart. We're going to talk about that. We're going to camp out around that in just a little bit. Here we go. Verses six and seven, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Okay, so right here in the text, Paul's saying, hey, and when you do the work you do, don't do it for approval. Don't do it so everyone can see you. Don't do it so you can get approval from your boss. Do it because you're doing it and you're doing it onto the Lord. That whole that whole concept is going to save you and we're going to talk about that, especially when you're submitting to difficult leadership or unfaithful, unjust leadership. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is, he is free. 
Oh man, this vert is, is jam-packed with rescuing help. This verse is telling me and it's telling you, hey, when you do the right thing, even when it's difficult, God has a reward for you. And folks, oftentimes that reward starts with inward peace, but it doesn't stop there. You see, not only do we get the reward of internal peace, but oftentimes God gives us an external reward of favor with man. But he doesn't even stop there. Not only do we get internal peace from the Lord, and sometimes we get external reward in the eyes of man for doing what's right, no matter the circumstance with folks, we get an eternal reward. And God promised as crowns of glory in heaven when we submit and do the things he says, particularly when we're under trial and tribulations. Okay, I got to keep going because I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse 9, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality in him. Oh man, that's, that is deep and that's wide. I don't know how much we're going to be able to fillet that open today, but just in case I don't get a chance, what it's saying right here is, hey, masters, you are being held radically accountable for your part too. And don't get tripped up and trapped up thinking you are ultimate authority. You are not. There is an authority over you. His name is God and he resides in heaven. And, and you should be careful how you lead. Oh man, this is this is God's precious, ridiculously perfect and anointed word that that heals and saves and and conquers and transforms and ultimately it unifies if you let God in. Therefore, let's let's pray now and ask God for his help and the Holy Spirit's partnership to see these things more clear and to activate them in our lives. Let's let's bow our heads and let's pray. Abba Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would get us massively excited, but, but that I would be the first to apologize right now for the moments when I'm not excited to spend time with you in Scripture. And everyone who wants to join me in that genuine, heartfelt apology, may they do so right now. We're, we're sorry, Lord. We declare that we don't want to be like a sheep just running around doing our own thing all the time. But we really are thankful that you are a shepherd that's constantly gathering us back unto yourself. And so this morning, I ask that you would lead us to still waters and to greener pastures. Oh, man. And that you would deliver us from evil and prepare for us a table, even in the midst of our enemies. Would you do that for us today, God? So whether that's relational pain or emotional pain or physical pain or disease, whatever we're fighting today, whatever's consuming our thoughts and distracting us, would you prepare a table and a meal for us today in the presence of our enemies? I pray that we would find ourselves refreshed and strengthened for the battle because what you have for us today is so much better. Remind us that the things that ultimately matter to you, Lord, are ultimate. So again, we repent. I repent for getting off track. And I, and I ask for greater strength personally to be a better husband to my wife and a better father to my children and a better neighbor to my community and a better pastor to your people and a better son ultimately to you, Father. And I pray others have that same prayer and repentant heart oozing all over their mind right now. And may we all do this for your glory and our joy. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. 
Amen. Okay, okay. Okay, so James, Jesus' little brother, he wrote an epistle, and we call it the book of James, when he became a believer. But if you don't know, he didn't always believe that Jesus was Lord until after the resurrection. So at one point, if you didn't know, James actually mocks and makes fun of Jesus, claiming to be the Messiah in the Gospel of John, chapter 7. But eventually, eventually, Jesus rose from the grave, and James is like, Oh, no. I got the whole thing wrong. And so then James enters into a season of repentance for quite some time, folks. And eventually he, got, he becomes renewed. He taps out. He looks up. He links in. And he writes the book of James. And in chapter 5 of his, of his letter, or the book of James, he exhorts the church to start praying fervently for all the things that he's discussed throughout chapters 1 and 4. And he then prays for them to specifically pray like Elijah. And if you don't know, Elijah once prayed a prayer to punish the children of Israel who were under the authority of King Ahab. And this dude was a horrible dude at that time um, and when he was in power. And so Elijah came to the Lord and he prayed that it would not rain no more ever again. And because of Elijah's faithful, fervent prayer, it didn't rain for three and a half years because of Elijah's prayer. And that's why James is referencing him in his, in his letter. I mean, that's incredible. A man coming to the Lord and praying, and, and it's stopping the rain for three and a half years. Can you imagine someone praying something like that? And then God answers it for three and a half years. Okay, and then James continues on in chapter 5, um, sharing that when Elijah wanted it to rain again, he then went back to the Lord and prayed another prayer seven times with all of his his heart and all of his mind and all of his soul and then guess what happened his prayer was answered and the rain came back are you kidding me i was just meditating on that reality the other day regarding the faithfulness and the steadfastness of elijah's prayer life like how many of us folks are waiting for our breakthrough and we pray one or two times and then we just give up and we go i guess god's not in it i guess god's answer is is a no I mean, how many of us have had those, those moments? Man, it's a tough, tough thing to know when it's time to let go of a prayer request, isn't it? Or to keep leaning in and to keep asking the Lord. Discernment is tough, folks, but, but let's, keep, let's keep tracking. So, so in this example, Elijah keeps praying and he keeps praying and eventually his prayer was answered and the rain came again. Okay, so here we're getting a picture in the Bible regarding Elijah who's operating under the miraculous supernatural moments of a spirit-filled life. But but the reason James brings up Elijah wasn't only to remind the 12 tribes that he was writing to that um, there's massive power when you enter into prayer seriously with all your heart, mind, and soul. That was important. He was exhorting the people, hey, pray fervently. Remember what Elijah did because of his faithfulness. That was, that was one aim of James. But the other was to remind the 12 tribes that Elijah, check with me, track with me, was an ordinary man. He was an ordinary man. 
just ordinary. Elijah was a normal dude, a normal Joe, a, no, a normal Joe with all sorts of weaknesses and fragilities and insecurities and inconsistencies and, and sin, folks. He was just like us, and James knew it, and he was pointing that out. He wasn't a king. He was not a ruler. He was not a master. He was not a gladiator. He was not considered anything of high notoriety in the people's eyes of that time. And if you don't know, Elijah's story would continue on. He would operate under these experiences that were completely miraculous, only to be followed in the very next moment by something massively depressing over and over again. He would experience great, great victories, and then the next moment he'd be off somewhere in a cave depressed and wanting to die. And James wanted you and me to see that, folks. He wanted you to see that in the text. He wanted to remind the, the 12 tribes, and therefore us, that Elijah was very normal, yet God still did very big things in and through him, though he did not carry any authority, and he was not a king, he was not a ruler, and he was not a, he was not a master. And family and friends, what I want you to realize is that God operates in both realities, namely in the big miraculous moments of life and in the small, seemingly insignificant moments of our life. It all counts. You see, our God is the God of the universe and the cosmos, but he's also radically the God of the atoms. And if you don't know, atoms are the smallest things that we've ever kind of discovered or studied or discerned in human in human history. Now, before I take this sermon illustration a bit deeper about the about the universe and the and the atoms, right, any further, here's what I want you to know right away when considering our, our focus verses through our focus passage regarding verses five through nine and how we are to serve when we are subservient and we are in subjection to leaders that are over us and we feel that our impact is not that big or it's not that memorable or it's not that important. Lean in. God absolutely wants to use you in miraculous ways. He does. He wants you to be a part of someone's story where you, where you get together and, and you pray for healing and then they're, and they get healed miraculously. Oh man, God wants you to be a part of those big miraculous moments. He cares about the supernatural. He cares about the miraculous moments. It all it all counts. But do you know what else is true? God also wants you to be a part of the most normal and simple aspects of a faithful life. Humbly serving and doing your part, no matter how small or insignificant it may feel or appear to you, because it's for the benefit of others and it's for the glory of God. And you got to trust that you are seriously affecting the kingdom in positive ways, even if you can't see how it's making an impact. Okay, okay, so eyes up here with your mind so clear. One more time, eyes up here with your mind so clear. So on the days that pass by in your life and you lay your head down at night and you look up at the wall and you say, did I do anything significant today, God? I'm, I'm trying to be faithful and I'm trying to live, but did I really affect your kingdom? 
All I did was print a bunch of papers for my boss at work today or, or, or I made the presentation for my supervisor to go and present and do the real impact work. It's in those moments, folks, that God wants you to know that your ordinary sacrifice, your ordinary service to your employer or to your boss or to your manager, it matters. It matters, folks, significantly. It all it all counts because God is most definitely the God of the big aha moments of life. But he's also the God of the smallest moments in our everyday lives as well. It all counts, folks. That's why I want you to remember that he is 100% the God of the universe and the cosmos. But he's also the God of the god of the atoms oh man he is now did you know that an atom is an atomic particle uh, and it, excuse me is an atomic particle in your body yes it is your body actually consists of seven billion 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 of those atomic particles that we call atoms and if you don't know what seven billion 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 looks like i'm going to put it on your screen right now it's seven with 27 zeros after it this is huge that's how many atoms we are consisted of that's that's who we are and so an atom an atom is an electron spinning around a proton and a and a neutron which makes up a nucleus in in the middle and and those two things are spinning around right they're, they're spinning around in there and they're making up the actual matter or the substance of who we are and there's seven billion 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 of those things they're spinning around right now and they make up who we are but did you know that when you study an atom up close and you look under a high-powered microscopic thingy it, it it truly is its own little world of of miracles and existence and craziness and power and god breathed mystery in and of itself like you should youtube it folks it's legit it's so small but it's so alive and it's filled with godly intentional design folks did you know that everything in the whole world is made up of atoms everything is and, and here's another crazy thing about atoms and i'm sure many of you might know this okay when that electron spins around the nucleus which is which is the proton and the neutron and it's and it's spinning around it's spinning around a large amount of empty meaningless space Okay, so you have 7 billion, billion, billion atoms spinning around around this large amount of empty, meaningless space in between themselves. And the only thing that's there of substance is these little tiny parts of atoms. And that's what makes up who we are. Wow. Now, now did you know that if I took you, like, like, like you, like who you really are, which is these atoms. And I got rid of all the empty space, all of it, all that meaningless space that the atoms are spinning around. It wouldn't change you at all. Did you know that? It would just remove everything that's not you, namely all the empty space and leave only you left after. Okay, you still with me tracking? I know this is weird. Trust me, this was the most interesting sermon prep. I studied more science for my sermon prep than I ever have before, but, but keep tracking. Did you know that if I decreased your size by removing all the empty, meaningless space, if we just removed it all, you would still weigh exactly the same. 
exactly the same. You would still be the same amount of you in the atom matter or substance of who you are. Not even a little bit of you would be lost. Just the empty space would be removed. Now, if I kept doing that to everyone in our church, we removed all the empty space and only the atoms what is actually you was left. And then I did that for everyone in Beaverton and then everyone in Oregon and then ultimately everyone in the entire world. If I took all 8 billion people in the world and we took away all the empty space between all the atoms that makes up who we are and all that was left, which is just us in our substance, did you know that if I took all the people, all 8 billion people and did that, we would all fit inside of one Singular sugar cube. One single sugar cube, folks. Eight billion people would fit in. I'm not making this stuff up, folks. You can look it up. If you removed all the empty space, we would all fit inside. Every human on the planet, one single sugar cube. And it wasn't until recently that all of this was discovered about atoms and atomic particles and all this stuff. I mean, look at God's creation. So in a way, we're, we're here on earth, but we're barely here, right? Are you kidding me? Eight billion people in one sugar cube? We're, we're, barely, we're barely existing. It's, it's, it's quite interesting and it's quite deep. Now, did you know that a neutron star is only about 13 miles wide, yet it's the most dense matter we've ever discovered so far in human history that we know about? So it's filled with those neutrons and electrons, but instead, all that empty space we talked about, it's been removed. And the only thing that's left is the, the matter and the substance. And folks, it's incredibly, incredibly dense. Now, did you know that, that if I took just one teaspoon of a neutron star, just one teaspoon, it would kill you and everything around you in a hundred mile radius? Wow. Are you kidding me? Okay. And to blow your mind some more, the weight of that rock, just one teaspoon. Ready? One teaspoon of a neutron rock weighs 10 billion tons. So, so in other words, one teaspoon of a neutron star weighs just as much as 1.2 million adult elephants. Are you kidding me? That is great density, folks. Unfathomable, right? Look at God's, look at God's creation. Now, did you know that the, that the earth, keep tracking with me, did you know that the earth can fit inside our sun 1.3 million times? We can fit 1.3 million of our earths inside of our sun. And at the speed of light, it would take eight minutes to get to our sun, all right? That's how long it takes to get to the sun, the speed of light, eight minutes. But did you know that, that, that to get to the next nearest star, not our sun, the next nearest star, it would not take eight minutes, but four years at the speed of light to get there. And that's the nearest star, folks. And how many stars have you seen suspended in the sky on a dark night when you're camping outside? So man, the universe, folks, the universe is large. Now, did you know that you could take 900 billion 
of our suns. Now, we just said 1.3 million of our Earths fit inside the sun, but we could take 900 billion of our suns and fit it inside the brightest and the biggest star that we've discovered so far. 900 billion of our, of our sun would fit inside of that one. It's called Canis Majoris, which means big dog star. You can look that up. Did you know that they estimate that there are as many galaxies out there as there are blades of grass on our planet? Now, now, of course, we don't really know how many individual blades of grass are on our planet, but it's a scientific guess or estimate that's getting you to understand that, this, that the universe and the cosmos are huge, and that's what they're comparing it to. There's as many um, galaxies out there beyond our Milky Way galaxy as there are blades of grass. That's, that is completely mind-blowing. Okay, okay, so pay attention. So... The God of the smallest things, like the atoms, and, and the God of the largest things, like the universe and the millions of galaxies that are out there. That same God made me, and he made you, and he made this book that we call the Bible. And in this book, he declares, I'm as big as I need to be, like the entire cosmos. I'm as big as I need to be, but I'm also as miniature as I need to be, like an atom, and I put the same amount of detailed work. This is what God's showing us in creation. I put the same amount of detailed work in the big things as I put inside of the little things. And scientists will tell you when they look at the atom, there is incredible detail in the atom. And God wants you to know that if he can work and create and design and fit inside the smallest of atoms, he can most definitely fit and heal and equip and work inside of you. Oh man, that's legit. God wants you to know in scripture that he could be a part of your life in beautiful, meaningful, supernatural, and cosmic, mind-blowing mind-blowing ways, that he could be a part of your parenting and your marriage and your friendships and your relationships at work, that he can be your compass so you can learn how to heal and how to endure when you're hurt, and then how you can work and submit to do the hard things that he's calling you to do. Folks, the book of Ephesians, this great book of the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible are declaring that everything about you is redeemable in Christ. It all, it all counts. Look at what he's done in the atoms and in the neutron stars. Nothing is too hard for him, whether it's big or whether it's, whether it's small. So on the days that you feel discounted or defeated or insignificant, on the days that you believe your, your, your sin is too big of a foe for you to, to, for you to win and you just feel like you have to submit and participate in your old man, we must remember that we are serving the God of the galaxies who in his infinite power, oh my gosh, in his infinite power shrinks down into a habitable size so that he can dwell within each and every one of us. But folks, when he shrinks down into this size to fit in our hearts, he doesn't lose any of his dense cosmic-like power to make us spirit-filled, victorious Christians here 
on earth. So, so you don't have to believe the lie and the hype of the enemy that says you, you have to keep participating in that unhealthy relationship. You don't need to continue participating with those, unhe- those unhealthy, sinful habits and, and addictions and, and lustful pulls in your life. You don't have to stay isolated anymore with your struggles and feel that your problem isn't big enough for the church. Or it's not big enough to share that you should get over it already. No matter how big your struggle is or how how small your struggle is, it all matters to God because he's the God of the big galaxy-like problems in our lives. And he steps in and he saves, but he's also the God of the small Adam-like things. And he steps in and he's saved because to him, folks, it all counts. So, so here's our next takeaway as we keep marching, preparing to go crazy in verses five through nine. It's on your screen. Even though we often feel defeated and discounted in moments of our life and relationships, we are fully equipped beyond expectation to live incredibly purposeful and satisfying lives. We serve the God who does gigantic miracles when necessary while staying perfectly consistent to do the smallest of surgical work in our hearts daily. And all of it is for the purpose of redeeming our lives and design to its original intended purpose. Therefore, no matter how big or small our situation is, it all counts to God. And, and isn't it crazy how we all act just a little bit different when we are called upon to do big things? I mean, let's just be honest, we do. Like, we all tend to rise differently to the occasion, and we put our best foot forward when we deem something is going to be a huge and something big in our lives. Like, whether it's a big promotion or a big hot date or a big surgery, we know how to bring our best foot forward when something feels or appears to be big. But when we deem that something is small or insignificant or just a little itsy-bitsy little sin problem or, or an itsy-bitsy little character problem or just a little tiny bit of a lack of submission problem, we, we often say to ourselves, ah, this doesn't really matter, right? It's, it's just a small thing. But folks, it all matters. All of life matters to God. It all counts. Those those big elephant and neutron stars don't exist, folks. They don't exist without great detail, care, and attention that God placed within his design of the trillions of atoms that they make up who they are. It it all makes up who we are. So so all the little things, all the, the little thoughts and the little decisions, they all make up collectively who we are in the end. It all counts. I'm gonna say that again. All the little things, all the little decisions, all those little thoughts that we dismiss and say, oh, no big deal, just a little thought, just a little unfaithful thought, just a little sin thought. Hey, they all make up collectively who you are. It all counts. So when you became a Christian, you, you effectively became, are you ready for this? You effectively became a bondservant of Christ. Oh, here we go. And remember, to become a bondservant means to surrender your rights and to offer your services for another person's good, particularly 
your masters. And that means you say and you live under the anthem of, I live solely for the glory of God now as a bondservant of Christ. And that also means by Christ-centered default that you are a bondservant to other people around you because God has called you as your master to do that. And yes, folks, it most definitely matters what we do and how we do it, even in the smallest of things. It all counts. And, and one of the most obvious titles that we see this play out in when it comes to the workplace is between employers and employees. And yes, you are being paid, right, to be taken care of, or they're paying you to take care of certain responsibilities, but you're also surrendering your rights for that eight hours that you're there for the betterment of your company or that organization. And everything you do and every decision you make and every motivation of your heart, it matters to God what you're doing when you're at work. Not just the big stuff, but even the small atom-like stuff, folks. It all, it all counts. Now, now, let's just be honest. There's something dark and, and weird and popular in our society that says rebellion and, and anarchy and sneakiness and shadiness is a valuable trait to take with you when you enter the business world. And, and that the best employee is the one that knows how to get the most out of their company and to give the, the least back in return. And, and to be the best car salesman is to make the most money you can off of your client, no matter, forget what they have going on. How can I make as much money from this client when they come to look at cars as I can. But the Bible says this, no way, that's not the standard. The Bible says, hey, when you're working, whatever your job is, go the second mile and then go the fifth mile and then go the 15th mile. The Bible says, show your company and your organization what heaven looks like and how you serve and work and give like they're paying you an $8 million salary. The Bible says make respectable offers on Craigslist and offer up in eBay and show what heaven looks like when you're making deals. Folks, when it comes to us as spirit-filled Christians, it all counts. God is saying in scripture to me and you, be the best bond servant, be the best employee, be the best citizen that you can possibly be when you're at work and when you're at play because you're representing me and you're ultimately a bond servant a bondservant to me, and you surrendered your rights is what God's saying. We, me and you, we surrendered our rights and we offered our services to the kingdom now. And part of our kingdom service is displayed in the love and the compassion and the hard work and the equality and the fairness that we demonstrate in the workplace and in the places that we recreate and we play and we have fun. We're all doing it as representatives of the kingdom, folks. And, and part of our kingdom work that we surrender our rights to was in how we submit and we obey and we gladly accomplish that which our managers and directors and employers are calling us to do. And, and if you're a Christian, this is so easy now because we've, we've tapped out, we've looked up, and we, we've linked in to God. And that means that you don't have to live for yourself anymore. Are you tracking? You've tapped out to that selfish lifestyle, folks. And, and Paul wants you to remember that. And let me encourage you, once you know who you are in Christ, remember this whole series, right? Moving from our story to God's story, discovering who we are in Christ. Once you really know who you are in Christ, you will know what you're supposed to do in every area of your life. I'm going to say that again. Once you really know who you are in Christ, 
you will know how to operate in every aspect of life. Like, isn't that, isn't that really, good, really good news? And I hope this makes practical sense for you now because if you're still taking personal liberties and you're writing yourself personal hall passes to do whatever you want in, in, in every activity and taking liberties all the time, as you keep stepping more into your Christ-centered identity, God starts calling you out for that type of behavior. And he starts calling you out for writing those fake hall passes that don't belong to you and God calls you back to the classroom. Are you, are you, are you tracking with me? But, but here's where things get really legit, folks. The more you step into your new identity in Christ, the more you become spirit-filled, which means practically focusing on Jesus everywhere and all the time. Once you keep telling yourself, no, 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 to your old man, and you keep remembering that you've tapped out and you keep looking up and you blink in to the Holy Spirit. Hey, when you start doing that, you stop writing those fake hall passes where you're giving yourself permission to do things that you know you're not supposed to do. You start desiring on your own to stay in class with Jesus and others. And the Holy Spirit gives you and me power not only to learn God's curriculum, namely what he's prescribing and describing in the Bible, but we ultimately graduate and become mature, victorious Christians in the end because you start to recognize that it all counts. The big things and the small things it all counts. Okay, so so what does all this mean for us today? Let's let's look at that on our screen. You see, because we've made the decision as Christ followers to tap out, look up, and link in, we are not enslaved to a life that is centered on our own preferences and desires. Because our new identity in Christ, because of our new identity in Christ, we are called towards new activities that not only change how we do life at home, in our marriages, families, and parenting, but in the workplace. In everything we do, we are ambassadors of God's kingdom work. Therefore, we are image bearers of equality, fairness, love, compassion, and hard work. It all counts. Okay, now holding all that intention, let's look again right now at verse 5 a bit more, a bit more deeply. Here we go, verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Okay, now what I want you to, uh, uh, excuse me, now I want you to move this verse from your head to your heart so you can feel the weight and the gravity of what's going on in this, in this exhortation. Do you think there were any bad masters at the time abusing their power and taking advantage of people? Like, of course there were, right? Folks, I don't have time to break all this down for us today, but I want you to know that the brutality during this time in the Roman, in the Roman Empire was was gruesome, terribly gruesome. Things like torture, dismemberment of one's body, and castrations were normal parts of their society. These were the typical weapons of oppression that masters operated and utilized over their bondservants and their slaves to implant fear in them and to control them. And Paul, I want want you to get this right, this is going to be weighty, and Paul, knowing that, living during those times, literally knowing what the bond servants were, were dealing with, God commands Paul to say this, even though you're living under those conditions, 
God wants you, bondservant, to serve your masters who are often abusing their authority for selfish gain over you, and he wants you to serve them with a sincere heart as unto the Lord. Oh, man, you have got to be kidding me. And so the, the bond servant's going to need to be spirit-filled to be able to do what God's calling them to do, right? And folks, we need to be operating out of that spirit-filled zone, too, towards those who are in leadership over us, irrespective of how awesome they are in serving and leading us. That's not the point. And if you're like, Pastor Brandon, I can't do this. This is impossible. This person that I work for is not worthy of my affections and they're not worthy of my submission. My answer is, you're absolutely right. You can't do it on your own. It is impossible. But with God, but with God, you can. You see, because the Holy Spirit equips you to do that which you couldn't do and that which was originally impossible, and He also equips you to do that which you didn't want to do in the first place, folks. That's the point of being Spirit-filled. And before you start checking out on me, saying this can't possibly be what the Bible means in the Greek or the Hebrew, before you start jumping to defense mechanisms and questioning whether Pastor Brandon is interpreting the text correctly, and maybe there's another way, another translation about this whole submission to authority thing, before you start to argue with God and say that he doesn't understand your personal situation, because if he did, he surely would never ask me to submit to such a Thing, I just want to gently yet firmly remind you about your heavenly Savior and Lord Jesus Christ who placed himself under the authority and under subjection to this world, folks. I just want to remind you of that in the Gospels. And I know someone right now is thinking, uh-uh, 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 I am not going to submit to my boss. I am not going to submit to my director, or, or, or I'm not going to submit to my husband, or I'm not going to submit to my parents, or I'm not going to submit to my pastor. They don't know what they're doing. They don't get it right. I don't agree with their direction. They're selfish. They're wrong. They're evil, etc., etc., etc. Hey, for those of you who are saying to yourselves right now in the crevices of your heart, hey, first of all, me not submitting to my husband, me not submitting to my boss, me not submitting to my pastor, me not submitting to my manager, I'm doing that as unto the Lord. He'd be, he'd be proud. I'm doing the right thing. I believe God's pleased when I do that. Hey, I want to remind you and I want you to imagine and remember that your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, completely submitted to the rules and the rulers of this world and that were filled with anarchy, craziness, and ultimately wielded the weapon of crucifixion over him. Are you tracking? We don't even get close to experiencing that with the people over us, but Jesus dealt with anarchy, craziness, and the crucifixion, and he submitted to them all. Like, if you're tracking with me, you should be saying this, why? Why? Why would Jesus do and submit to such a thing and to such unworthy people? Why did Jesus do that? Here's why. Because he wasn't living for righteousness, folks, to be established here on earth in its present form. He was living for righteousness to be established forever in heaven. Folks, he was living in light of eternity. He had a different eternal perspective that allowed him to have peace and operate in unpeaceful circumstances. I'm going to say that again. Hey, lean in. Folks, 
Jesus was able to submit to the rules and the rulers that were filled and were corrupt because he was living in light of eternity. He had a different eternal perspective that allowed him to peacefully operate in an unpeaceful world. And that's the vantage point that I keep trying to preach and teach and lift up every single Sunday. That's the eternal mindset that changes everything about your trajectory and the things that you focus on. It'll heal your marriage. It'll heal your parenting. It'll heal your interactions at the workplace when you keep your eyes on eternity. This is what allows you to to absorb Christ in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit so you are compelled to do crazy cool things and to have peace in your heart in an unpeaceful world. And, And though we live in a world that demands that you receive justice when people wrong you and when things don't go your way, the Bible says, I just want you to know that the Bible says, my son and daughter That's not your department. Justice is not yours. God declares justice is mine. Justice will be reached, but not by your hand, not by your ability, not by your desire, and definitely not because you are frustrated. Instead, we are called to be bondservants onto the Lord that are fully devoted to the things that our heavenly master calls us to do. And that means to be devoted and in subjection to another person, oftentimes to the disregard of your own interests. And in even simpler terms, it means that you carry the anthem, I'm just here to serve. My name is Brandon, and I'm just here to serve as unto the Lord. And it means I'm going to serve my boss with all my heart, sincerely, whether he's qualified or not, because it's an offering, not to my boss, but unto the Lord. And let me tell you the most important truth right here, okay? This is the most important truth. Each and every one of us have an idea, and we have a conviction right now about this authority conversation. Yes, we do. And I want you to know that whatever that conviction is right now, it's directly impacting your ability to worship God. Oh, yes, it is. Whatever that personal idea and whatever that conviction that you have in your heart right now, it is affecting and directly impacting your relationship and your ability to worship the God of the universe. Trust me, there's there's no disconnect. There's no big, uh, excuse me, there's no holy, meaningful moments when you're at church and then everything else is unholy and they're not important moments when we're back out in the world. It doesn't work like that. It's all holy. It's all sacred to the God of the universe, folks. It all, it all counts. So when you choose to be unholy and selfish and and arrogant and unsubmissive at home or at the workplace or at church or at a grocery store even, that unwillingness to submit is impacting your relationship with God directly. And on the flip side, when you are spirit-filled and you submit with a sincere heart as a bondservant at home, and in your church, and at work, or at the grocery store, when you are wanting to argue with the cashier about a situation, you just submit, and you, and you submit under that person's authority. You are directly honoring God, uh, honoring God, and it's impacting positively your relationship with Him. And that's because He is the author, folks, of this whole design of submission. Therefore, you're simply doing what he's called you to do. Everything counts, folks. It all counts. 
So what if you were known at your workplace? What if you were known uh, amongst your family? What if you were known amongst your church as being the hardest working, most trustworthy, ultimate team player? What if that was your reputation? Wouldn't that make so, wouldn't that make much of Jesus? Wouldn't that just lift and exalt him so highly? And that's because he's ultimately trustworthy and he was the greatest team player in all of his dealings and in all of his relationships. And you're joining him in that, in that anthem. But when you're known at your workplace as being lazy, deceitful, uncooperative, unpleasant, and self-centered, you bring dishonor to the name of Jesus. And here's why. Because you're claiming the title Christian, you're walking around as an ambassador of Christ, and with your faulty behavior, you're wrongly displaying to the whole world what a family member of God's kingdom looks like. And that's that's no good, folks. Okay? So so let's go to verse, let's go to verse six now and let's see what God has for us here. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Here we go, verse 6. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. That's, that's a very, very important verse right here. You guys know that I have not always been a lead pastor, right? I haven't always been in the top of authority. Before these past years, in fact, I've, I've always been a pastor or an employee somewhere that had many and multitudes of bosses that were over me that I had to submit to. And so I remember very vividly working as a shift leader of a health and sports club when I was a very young man, a young adult. And I had a manager that was above me. And I was recently married. I was working 40 hours a week and going to school and trying to support my young my young bride, and I remember my manager above me would literally leave work while staying clocked in for multiple hours and make me do all of their workload all the time. I was being paid folks one third of their salary, but I was being called to do my manager's work in person, even on my days off. And sometimes I get called in at one in the morning to do my manager's job. And that person would just leave. And, and I remember getting super, super frustrated. So I, I'd get there and I, I'd be like, what's going on? And then my manager would go, hey, do this, do this, do this. I'll be back in a couple hours. I'm going to go to the movies. That was literally, literally told to me. And so you can ask my wife. She hated this. We talked about it all the time. And so sometimes my regional director would come in to town and he'd walk around the club. And I'd try so hard to show him all my hard work and to show him. And really, I would overcompensate and try to work really, really hard. But folks, nothing ever happened. And I didn't get promoted. And I grew internally frustrated about that more and more. And it started showing up and how I started to work. And it's embarrassing to say, but the true story goes like this. I started to do the same thing as my boss above me. I figured in my heart, why should I work so hard when my boss is treating me this way? So I started extending my lunches and I started not working faithfully. That was until one of the members of this health club reported me and I almost lost my job. So I remember telling myself and I was sitting in my truck and I says, man, it's time for me to tap out to striving and doing all these things with my effort, trying to make things right in this unjust situation. And I started to tap out to trying to, um, to pouting and the copying, the behavior and all these things that I was doing. And I decided to look up and say, God, let me just do it. 
Let me just do it your way. And I made peace with my situation with Christ. And I resolved that I was going to focus on just being the best employee that I could be and to work hard every single time I was called to work or unjustly called to do my boss's work. And I decided and I did that. And I found great peace, folks, in an unpeaceful place. And I promise you, it was amazing. Instead of focusing on the flaws of my manager, I focused on the quality of my service. Oh, that's going to deliver you. Let me say it again. Instead of focusing on the, on the flaws of my superior, I focused on the quality of my personal service. I used some of my money that I was being underpaid for, and then I decided to lean in with my wife's blessing, and we blessed someone that I was working with, one of my coworkers who was struggling financially. She had three kids, and we bought her a month's worth of food, and I kept doing spirit-filled things like that despite an unpeaceful workplace because I had found peace in God in an unpeaceful place. I kept doing stuff like that, folks, and I started recognizing, even as a young man, it all counts. And, and guess what happened? This is a true story. Guess what happened? All the employees, they started putting in little notes and, and some of them started emailing the regional director. I didn't even know they were doing this and sharing that they appreciated me and started telling testimonies of the things that I was doing around that sports club. And within time, guess what happened? I was promoted to become the facility manager of that health club and that manager above me was dismissed. I took on 40 employees who were between the ages of 25 and 50, and I was only 21 years old, and I was the youngest manager in all 30 clubs in the state of California. Folks, life gets better when we serve and we work on to the Lord and not onto man because we get peace to work in unpeaceful circumstances. Okay, let's let's keep tracking verse verse 7 is legit. Okay, so first, bond servants, obey your earthly masters right with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. You got to do that as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Here's verse 7. Rendering services with a good will. Don't just render a service Render it with a good will or a good intention as to the Lord and not to man. Did you know that when you serve and you submit to those who are put in authority over you, when you do that, even if they're unrighteous in their authority, you're doing it onto the Lord? That's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to make this, this, this get in our heart today. We're doing it unto the Lord. If you don't believe me, keep reading your Bible. I encourage you to go to Romans 13. Check out 1 Peter. Keep reading. When you do that, you're doing it onto the Lord. Because when you serve and you submit to those who are corrupt and, and evil and you say in your heart, you know what, you're in charge of me, so I'm going to obey and I'm going to submit. And I believe that God is going to ultimately judge you in your heart, not to them, right? God's going to judge you. But as for me, I'm going to do my job well and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to render a good service for you as unto the Lord. When you do that, you are rendering that good will and that godly will and and you're glorifying God, folks. You got to lean into that. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to obey people to the point where they are now asking us to do something that is unlawful or corrupt. In those circumstances where it's not their sin, but they're asking you to sin, you get to operate under civil disobedience and not submit because of the authority of Scripture. And I want to be clear about that. But, but I also want to be clear about this. 
just because your boss is unrighteous or unkind or even evil, it doesn't give you and me permission or an allowance to serve them in return with evil and unkindness. It does not justify our actions. Instead, God promises you and me in the Bible that he'll take care of it. In fact, he promises that he's going to take care of them and their unrighteousness, and he's going to take care of you and what you're enduring because of it. We, we have to believe that, folks. Now, do you remember King David? I've told you about King David before. He's one of my favorite biblical characters. King David was anointed as king. I got to do a fast, I got to do a fast march through the Old Testament, okay? So, so King David was an anointed king, um, and King Saul was also the king at that time, and he was evil, and he was ultimately unwilling to relinquish his throne. And David had an opportunity to take things into his own hands and to take the kingdom from Saul. You see, I told you before, but David was hiding in a cave, and he had all his men with him, and they were saying, hey, this dude Saul's trying to kill you and take your head off. Let's go get him and take his head off instead. Hey, but the story goes on that David didn't return Saul's evil for evil. Instead, he crept up really close to Saul, and, he, uh, and instead of trying to kill him, he cut off a little itty-bitty piece of his robe right? And, 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 Saul t- and Saul took off. But later they had another encounter and a conversation across a canyon. And, and David, he, he holds up the robe and he says, hey Saul, hey Saul, hey, Saul, hey, Saul look, at, look this. at this. And he starts waving the little piece of robe around. And, and Saul looks and he squints and he's like, is that my robe? And, D- and David's like, yeah. yeah. And Saul goes, what? How did you get that? You must have been really close to me. You could have killed me. And then, and then David responds, and he's like, yeah, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Hey, Saul, I didn't return evil for evil. And not only that, then David proceeded to apologize to, to Saul for even cutting a piece of his robe in the first place. And he repented before God and Saul for even cutting the little itsy-bitsy piece of that robe, that itsy little bit of sin. And David's men, they were furious in the text. And they go, why are you repenting, David? Why why are you doing that when you didn't even do anything wrong? He's the one that was trying to murder you. And David said to his men, no, the Lord will remove him. The Lord will keep justice and the Lord will elevate me when it's time, my brothers. And I shouldn't have taken a part any part of it into my own hands. It all counts. No, I didn't kill him, but I still operated and I took control and I shouldn't have. So I'm repenting. It all counts. And the story goes on that indeed God removes Saul from authority and he exalts David. But folks, God does it perfectly and in his own, his own timing. Oh, that's, that's legit, RC, but that's also very difficult when it plays out in our own lives isn't it? But, but have you ever considered that perhaps the bosses in our lives and the unfortunate situations and the pressures that we experience in our workplaces, have you ever thought to consider that even though they're unwanted, what if they're all instruments of God's grace being activated and used to teach me and you how to be more patient and how to be more compassionate and how to operate with more Maturity. Have you ever stopped to think that perhaps God is allowing these bosses and unfortunate situations to occur in your life and to extend a little bit longer than you would like because he's preparing you to be a good leader and a good ruler, just like King David when your time comes? Have you ever stopped to consider that? Because we often say, but it's so hard, Lord. It's so very hard 
for me right now at my job or in my situation. And God's like, yes, yes, my son and daughter, I know. But you're spirit filled now and you can do it. You have the power now to be a bondservant and with a sincere heart to submit to what I'm calling you to do. And I'm preparing something for you beyond this trial. And this trial, if you stick with me, is going to produce good for my, for my glory and for others. And yes, even for you, my son or daughter, if you trust me. So, so proceed forward is what God's saying. Proceed forward and have joy and peace and love as you, as you follow me. And folks, isn't that what we're all really looking at, um, looking um, for in our lives anyway? Joy, peace, and love. Like, that's what motivates virtually every single thing that we do, right? Love, peace, and joy. It's why we chose the spouses we chose. It's why we live in the places we wanted to live. It's why we have the careers or we're trying to get to the careers or we're picking a degree. We're looking for joy, peace, and love. Okay, well, God is saying if you want joy and you want peace and you love and you want love, it's right here. That's what God's saying. It's right here in obedience. It's right here in the trust factor. It's right here in the doing and in the serving of me. It's right here when you serve the people around you. It's right here when you learn how to have peace in unpeaceful circumstances. And every time you want to say, but Lord, but Lord, please know that he already knows what you're going to say after, but Lord. He already knows. He knows it all. He gets it all. Yet he's still commanding you, despite knowing it all, to be obedient and to serve your master, whether they're perfect or not. And this is why. Because in these situations, verse 8 is his, his promise to you. Let's look at that. Because verse 8, verse 8's our hope, folks. It's, it's on your screen. Hey, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Hey, don't, don't, don't give eye service. Don't be a people pleaser. But, but as a bond servant, do the will of God. Hey, render those goodwill services, not onto man but to me. Here we go. Ready? knowing that whatever good anyone does, that's you, that's me, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. Folks, we're going to receive it back. So do you want to know what God is, what he's really doing here? You want to know what's happening here in this whole verses 5 through 9? Folks, because right now you may be asking for a different boss or a different work place or a different working relationship or a different system to operate in. And God's looking at you and God's looking at me. And he's saying, I don't really care about that. I care about you and I care about your heart. Folks, most of our gripes uh, with people and systems and workplaces aren't justice issues, folks. Not in God's economy of thinking. I'm sorry, it's just not true. Most of our gripes are not justice issues to God. If they were truly justice issues to God, he would just kill us all absolutely all of us trust me so if you really want justice to be served correctly at the workplace and correctly in life please know he's going to kill everything including and including you so this is not a justice issue to god the word tells us that this is a heart issue that god's after therefore hey lean in god will allow on purpose in the refiner's fire of life injustice and unfortunate situations to occur in your life. So, so, so many people are wondering, where, where, where's God at in, in my unpeaceful circumstance? Where's, where's God at in my workplace? Did he see how my boss talked to me today? And I want you to know in those circumstances that yes, he knows. And God was right there working on your heart in every one of those unfortunate 
circumstances, folks. And sometimes we, we pray and we ask God for a different situation, right? Oh, God, get me out of this. I need a different situation. But oftentimes God says, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give you a different situation, but I'm going to help you to have a different heart about what you're going through. I'm going to teach you how to have peace in an unpeaceful place. But, but here's the good news, folks. In God's perfect, infinite, wise wisdom, he also makes sure to address the masters over you. And he says this to them in verse, in verse 9. Hey, masters. Do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with with him. Oh, man, that, that is weighty. Listen, folks, God is going to judge us all the same. Hey, 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 masters, you are not off the hook. Employer, employee, pastors, whoever you are in positions of authority, husbands, you're not off. You're not off the hook. You are submissive as a servant to the God of the universe. That that's that's important. Hey, masters, employers, you are being evaluated by the God of the universe for how you treat people, how you care for people, and how you speak to people, and how you do your business and how you lead and the deals that you create, and the opportunities that you take or give to people. So, so every leader, and every pastor, and every manager, and every director of any kind, hear me when I say this. Everything we've learned today regarding the bond servant living from Christ-centered motivations, following through with a sincere heart in everything that they do, applies radically and directly to you as well within your role and responsibility. And God will most definitely hold you accountable for how you lead and how you operate for your part in this whole exhortation. Do not abuse your authority, leader. You tracking? Don't do it. Don't be rude. Don't be wrathful. Don't be vengeful and unwilling to work hard yourself as an example of leadership. Do not do that because believe this, your authority is not limitless. It is not. It is not, I mean, excuse me, your, yeah, your authority is not limitless. You have limits and you are radically under subjection to the God of the universe. He is the highest authority and forgetting that is a dangerous, dangerous game. Okay, okay, so what does all of this mean for us today? We are a people called to serve our leaders over us in the workplace with a sincere, hardworking, joyful, trustworthy heart irrespective of their qualifications, personality, or personal integrity. We do this as imitators of Christ, gladly joining him as we live for righteousness to be established forever in heaven, not on earth. We submit to the reality that justice is the Lord's and not ours. Masters, employers, and leaders are to join in this journey of submission onto God and how they equally treat their bond servants and employees well, with, with dignity and respect and value. Both bond servant and master do what they do with God in the picture as they glorify Him. That's 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 a good and sobering reminder. Okay, so let's let's land the start landing the plane in this way. How many of you want to see people get saved and fall in love with Jesus? I know I do. Huh? Raise your hand. How many of you want to see people saved and in love with Jesus? Okay, here's my next question. 
Now, how many of you see your life as a critical piece to making that happen? Tell the truth. Do you know that you're valuable and that you count? Hey, despite your insufficiencies and your insecurities, how many of you are waking up every day saying God's redemption for the, for the world? Hey, that's on me. His plan for the world, that's on me in Christ. And how many of you are constantly discounting yourselves and saying, what can I do? I'm just a single. And what can I do? I'm just a widow. And what can I do? I'm just a single parent. What can I do? We're, I, I, I'm in a marriage that was always in conflict. And what can I do? I have too many responsibilities. What, what, what can I do? I'm at the bottom of my company. I have no authority. And what can I do? No one listens to me at my church. What can I do? I keep discounting myself. Hey, is that, is that you? Like, what if you started saying to yourself, I want people to be saved and I trust that God is going to use me right where I'm at towards that goal somehow in some way. Like, what if you started believing that just like God is in charge of the atoms, which are so very small, very, very small, and just like God is in charge of the cosmos, which are gigantically big, like, what if you start believing that no matter how small or insignificant you feel that your life is, that it matters so much to God, folks, just like the detail that he puts in the atoms. It all counts. And, and what if you and I are God's atoms of the kingdom, collectively coming together and creating a spiritual neutron star-like impact on the world around us because of our great density of being spirit-filled, obedient, loving, compassionate, trustworthy, hardworking, powerful Christians in Christ. Like, like what, if, what if you and me and each and every one of us matter both individually but even more collectively in everything that we do like what if we all lost to a degree our significance and our impact if we scatter apart from each other as individual atoms trying to be our own little boss doing our own little deal all the time hey but what would happen if we stay together as all of these miniature atoms that we are and we come together to create this density um, effect of cosmic power supernova like impact in christ as we become a collective neutron star bright light bright star to a world begging for light in vast amounts of darkness because folks i promise the enemy wants you and me to sleep through life being proud of the mega christians and the celebrity christians and the author christians and the pastor christians and the actor christians and everybody else believing and thinking that you don't matter and that you don't count because you don't have something that's so big and so obvious maybe to people going on in your life but they're dead wrong Satan's wrong. They're all wrong. You matter in the kingdom. It all counts. It doesn't matter at all if you're, if you're a master in a workplace or you're a bondservant serving under a master. Folks, your part, your part counts. Okay, so here's a few more questions. Take them seriously. Okay, here we go. Are you a lazy person or are you a hardworking person in the workplace? Just be faithful and be honest. Are you lazy typically? Or are you hardworking? I don't care if you're at a law firm or you're at a fast food chain. It all counts. So are you working hard? Okay, here's the next question. Are you a blessing or a major burden at the workplace for your employer? Just tell the truth. Listen, if you are a Christian, you are called to be the most faithful, trustworthy, sacrificial, reliable, spirit-filled, happy employee that they have. You should be the most happiest, most spirit-filled, most reliable, most trustworthy employee 
at your whole company. And if your goal has been just to get by on your job and to collect your paycheck and to do whatever you need to do to not get fired, if that's been your goal, you need to repent of that now, folks. You just need to repent. Do you know why? Because God is calling you and me to give it all to give it all 100% because he's going to use you to change them and to change culture and, and also to change you. Are, you. are you tracking with me? But it doesn't have to be um, an employer, not only. It, it, could be, it could be you playing sports, young person, with your coach that's over you. It could be that you're in school and you have a teacher that's over you. Hey, maybe you already know that you're smarter than your teacher or you're smarter than your coach or whatever your authority figure is. Maybe you already know that you're more talented actually than your employer and you can just tell that you're able to help them and they can't help you. But God is saying, hey, submit to them anyway. Submit to them because it's going to change you and it may just change them if you allow me to lead you through that situation. Even if it's difficult, even if it's unpeaceful, I'll give you peace in that circumstance. Folks, this system of submission that God has designed has nothing to do with intellectual awards or physical feature awards or who looks better or who talks better or who knows more. It has nothing to do with it. It's about the heart of submission that says someone is over me and I'm submitted onto the Lord. And, and sometimes God desires to use your supervisor through their mistakes or their ill will towards you to redeem important things in your life and in your heart if you stay on course and you keep him in the picture. And always remember in the difficult times, King David and how he dealt with it all, folks. He chose to serve, he chose to love, and he chose to trust and obey. And God ultimately taught him, hey, lean in, and God ultimately taught David things that he could have never taught David from the top. He had to teach David from the bottom. And, and, and folks, because David stayed submitted during that season of his life, he was completely set up once he got to the top to be a legit leader. What if God's preparing for something around the corner? Hey, last question. Do you see your stewardship on earth right now as impacting and having eternal implications on on? in heaven? Do you see your stewardship on earth as impacting and having an eternal implications on, on heaven? Like, here's what I mean. Does it matter how your garage looks today? Huh? I'm going to keep going. Does it matter that your bank accounts are not in order? Does it matter to God the way you tailgate people because you're frustrated on the road? Does it matter to God that because you're frustrated and you're mad, you didn't text that person back in your anger? Does, does it matter that you choose to overeat every day and you destroy the temple of the Lord? Does it matter if you bring your own little goodie back to the movies because the movie charges you $10 for popcorn and you figure I'm going to bring my own candy in? It's not a big deal. Hey, do these things matter to God or not? And I hope you know that they do. Otherwise, life wouldn't count at all. There would be no point to life. There would be no meaning to any of it. It would just be a big waste of time. Seriously, if God doesn't care about anything we do here and everything's just small and nothing matters, then life, folks, life has no meaning. But if it's all redeemable, and it is, it is, read your Bible. If it's all redeemable, and it is, then it means we can start taking it all seriously now. Even the itsy bitsy things that we think are not a big deal, they're a big deal to God 
because they, they give glory to God, folks. It all counts. We can clock back into work on time, no matter what everybody else is doing, because it counts. We cannot take advantage of things on our jobs, even if our coworkers are, because it all counts. We can organize the aisle on the shoe rack when we work for the shoe company and actually do a, a perfected job, even though nobody would ever know and I get paid the same because, because it all counts. We can follow our company rules and administer, and administer them to others, even if we think personally they're stupid and not essential. And we can enforce them with a sincere heart because it all counts. And all of this sets us up to be a blessing for others and an ambassador of God's glory because the whole purpose of the Bible, folks, the whole purpose of the church, the whole purpose of the gathering of the body is to exalt God, edify the body, and evangelize the lost. Those are the three E's, folks, to memorize. Your whole life purpose is found in those three E's. Exalting God, edifying the body, and evangelizing those who are filled with a vast amount of darkness. We're to be a neutron star-like brightness to them. Folks, I just had another conversation just the other day with someone I'm counseling right now about this whole purpose and life situation. And, and this is one of the most asked questions that people think about all the time. What is my purpose in life? And so do you know what I told that young man that I was counseling just the other day? I told him these three things. Here's your purpose in life. Exalt God, edify the body, and evangelize the lost. Man, do, do those three things, young man, to the best of your ability with every talent and gift that God has given you. And then, and then I said, here's the deal. God's plan for your life may not be to embody a job or a job description that literally says those three things on there. It, it may not be there. For some of us, it is, like as pastors. But for some of us, it's not that explicit. But no matter what job you take, no matter what you do in life, it is your responsibility under God to find a way to exalt God there, to edify the body, and to evangelize the lost. Focus on those three things wherever God has you. Focus on other people's good and God's glory, and not on selfish game. Don't do that. And once you figure this out, folks, once we all figure this out, listen to me carefully. When you figure this out and you realize that everything counts, that all parts of life counts, once you realize that God is the God of the universe and the cosmos, just like he's the God of the atoms, when you figure out that even though we're just itsy-pitsy little, at uh, little atoms that it may seem insignificant by ourselves, but that we're collectively coming together, making a super dense like cosmic power neutron star that shines brightly on a world filled in darkness. When you get that everything counts, you start to see that God is on mission to develop great character in you. You, you start to see that it matters infinitely how you clean your house and how you organize your garage and how you interact with your wife and your employer and your children. You start to see that it matters to God. It matters radically how you study God's word, how you interact at church, how you deal with moments that are frustrating and you begin to sing a song that comes out of your heart and then out of your mouth that says, I live my life with integrity for the purpose of exalting God, edifying the body, and evangelizing the lost. And you're satisfied, folks, knowing that, and you're given peace in an unpeaceful world, radically knowing that it all counts 
And, and that's a good place for us to pray. Let's bow our heads. Okay. With eyes that are closed and heads that are bowed, we're going to do something here. I, I want to invite you right now to examine your heart, folks. Today I gave two examples in both Jesus and David. Both of them could have chosen to easily reject serving those around them because of those around them. Man, they were unworthy, folks. They were sinful and they were corrupt. But, but God looked at David and Jesus and, and he called them to be an example. And I believe with all my heart, according to the text, folks, that he is looking at us now as the church and he's calling us to be an example. He wants to know that this life is not our home and that we are ready to give up Lord, this, this, this world, folks, for an eternal reward and eternal destinations. He, God wants you to know right now that every life matters and it matters forever. So, so if you're here today with, with, with eyes that are um, closed and heads that are bowed, if you're here today, would you just say, yes, yes, God, I've blown it if that's you. I've been a rebel at work. I've, I've been a rebel at home. I've been, I've been a bit selfish. I've, I've been a jerk. I've, I've been evil. I've been returning evil for evil. I've, I've been frustrated. And, and if that's you, would you just simply say, Lord, help me to move forward. Say that out loud. Lord, help me to move forward. I, I repent. Say, I repent, Lord. Help me to move forward. Because it's not what I've done in the past that binds me. It's what I've decided to do in my present and in my future. So, so Lord, right now in your name, I'm praying for anyone who is humbly finding themselves in that little exhortation right there. And Lord, I, I lift up my brother and I, and I lift up my sister and I, and I lift up myself for the areas, Lord, where we have not been submitted. Lord, we want to be glad, sincere bondservants for your kingdom, radically, radically trusting you to take care of us. May we start to be a supernova-like neutron star in our workplaces, in our homes, and in our communities, and everywhere that we go. May you give us peace that surpasses passes understanding in an unpeaceful world. It's because of your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, Redemption City Church.